Hi, I'm Kaylee Moore. And I'm Emma Samasco. Welcome to Freelance Writing Coach, your new go-to podcast for building a freelance writing business. In each 20-minute episode, we'll do a deep dive into one area of business with the hope that our insights as successful freelance writers will educate and inspire you. This season of Freelance Writing Coach is sponsored by Select Few. Select Few provides transparent, flexible marketing teams made of pre-vetted freelancers. Establish action plans, discover missing pieces, and then build and manage a team of pros in everything from copywriting to Facebook ads to web design and outsourced sales. No white labeling, no markups, just flexible teams of expert marketers ready to get to work. If you run a business and need help with marketing, head to selectfew.co. And if you're a pro freelancer looking to work with new clients, head to the same address or send an email over to team at selectfew.co. Tell them Kaylee and Emma sent you. When it comes to freelancing and it comes to life, we put a lot of shoulds on ourselves. We should work this many hours. We should build a beautiful website. We should work with this kind of client. But I think we need to be really careful about looking outside of ourselves and putting shoulds on ourselves. So today we want to talk about how there's really no right way to build a freelance writing business. And we want to dispel myths about what you have to do as a freelance writer. So Kaylee, I am curious if there are any things that you feel like are com- like basically common advice that you hear for freelance writers that you're like, I don't do it that way. I think the first thing that comes to mind is around what a normal workday should look like. And this was the biggest thing that I struggled with when I first started, especially transitioning out of a very traditional 40-hour-a-week job where I went into the office every day. And so in my mind, when I transitioned over to freelancing, I carried that same mentality of, I need to be at my desk from 8 to 4.30 every single day, five days a week. And with freelancing, the beauty of it is you have this flexibility where you can set your own schedule. And as long as the work is done, no one can tell you how to do it. So I always found myself tied to my desk or feeling guilty if I wanted to go take my dog for a walk or go for a hike in the afternoon when it was nice out. And I was like, no, I need to be here in case an email comes in or somebody needs to get me on the phone. So I was still very much in that employee mindset. And I think that that was a really tough myth for me to break through in that I didn't have to stick to that traditional nine to five mentality. I could set my own schedule and I could enjoy the flexibility and freedom that came with being able to structure my own workday and my own work week. And it probably took me about 18 months, honestly, to get out of that, to really find a flow. So that's the big one that jumps out first at me. What I'm curious to know what yours is. Well, I think I have a few and some of it is just what I observe being talked about among freelance writing communities. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. So one that came up for me fairly early on was I'd been freelancing a while and I felt like my business had grown and it was kind of at a plateaued point where I was like, I'm going to have to offer something new. And people kept telling me to do a course. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Like, that's not the way that I want to grow. Like, it's a natural step for many freelancers. And I think it's great. It's not that I don't think anyone should do it. I just know myself. Like, I know I don't like online courses. It's funny because I just bought one about 
toddlers. It's about like taming toddler tantrums or something. And I had such high hopes for it. It was like really oversold with great copywriting. And then I opened it up and I watched my husband and I last night watched three videos and we were like, no, like this is not going to work for us at all. And so like, I just knew that like creating a course and maybe I'll eat my words because one day I will create a course, but it just didn't feel like the right growth model for me, I guess. Can I hop in and ask you a question? I'm curious about what made it click in both of your minds when you were watching the course? It just didn't work for you. What was it that like made you feel that way? <sighs> I mean, just like the presentation. <laughs> I just felt like I needed information like super, I'm like a busy mom, right? So I need information to be delivered quickly, straightforward, I don't want like any extra fluff or any extra info. Like I want the information like as quickly and succinctly as possible. And this was kind of like in a cutesy style and they were, t- they, there was so much context provided. And I was like, I don't need the context. Just tell me how to do my, with my toddler. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But I have that with like a lot of other online courses that I've taken. And I think it's because like I digest information quickly. And so it's way easier for me to read something. So yeah. So like I'd rather read, but a lot of people would not rather read. So it's like a personal thing, but I, it's hard for me to like get behind making a course when like, I don't really like them to consume them. Like it just feels a little disingenuous. Yeah. that's So that's one thing that's like a should. What's another Um, one? You said you had a couple. I want to hear what else. I feel like I need to think about some of them because I feel like a lot of them came up for me when I joined a copywriting mastermind and I saw what other people were doing. And like, I don't know, in our web, in our episode on websites, you mentioned like people doing like photo shoots and having like a persona that they rely on. And I felt like that's not for me. Like, I'll maybe do a photo shoot when I have a new website, but like, that's not really how I want to run my business. Oh, another one is Instagram. Like I know people use Instagram for their, for business purposes and it works really well for them. But for me, it's like my one playground where I can like show pics of, you know, my kid on a scooter or something. And it's like, it's not where I want to do that work. So I don't know. Like, I feel like there's some pressure maybe to be the same person everywhere when you're working for yourself and I've resisted that and I'm not sure that's actually good for my business. I mean, I'm running a successful business, right? But it's something that I feel like is a should, but I can't quite get on board with. How about for you? Yeah. I think a couple that come to mind as I sit here and think about it are you can only have one area of focus. I think focus is a super critical skill for anyone who's doing freelance writing full time, but I think it's totally okay to have other lanes of work that you do that are maybe more interest-driven or like passion-driven, if that's a word you want to use. So for example, in my business, I have the client work I do. I have the coaching work that I do, but I also do like some contributing and writing on retail-related subjects, which is sort of overlapping with the client work that I do, but sort of more just like I find interesting and I find that I get a lot out of the conversations I have and like the doors that get opened from that work that I do. So anymore. It's not something I talk about a whole lot. I do it, but it's not, I don't just keep my focus to like one lane. Like I don't just focus on my client work and nothing else because I feel like it's totally okay to explore creative opportunities or interest-based topics. I think it's just a matter of like 
gauging what you share and not confusing people. If that's something you're worried about, just making sure that you have a very clear representation of like what you're trying to do. Otherwise, if you try to do too much, people do get get confused and are like, wait, is Kaylee like a reporter now or does she still do client work? Is she just a freelance writing coach? Like it can get really muddy really quickly. So I think bottom line, it's okay to have different hobbies and interest areas. It's just a matter of like keeping them straight and maybe not like using the megaphone to talk about all of them. Yeah, sure. Being selective in in what you're sharing. Yeah. I do think that I see some new freelancers get caught up in like, oh, there's a right way to build my business. Like first I get a website and then I get a client and then I niche down to the exact client I want to do. And then I offer this and then I do that. And I just think that like there's no one path and everyone's path is going to be unique and different. So it's important along the way to think about like what you want to do for yourself. Like I think that's actually sort of the biggest myth that people get caught up in is like, there's only one way to run a successful freelance business. If I'm going to do this right, I better run it like Kaylee. And it's like, no, you, if you're going to be successful, you have to run it like yourself, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not a linear path at all. It's so different for every single person because there are so many different ways you can take it and position it and, and grow it. But yeah, there does seem to be this notion that there's like this progression you're supposed to follow where it's like you said, it's stepping stones and the the final stone on that course is like launching a course or coaching fellow writers or, you know, whatever it is. It's it's basically transitioning out of client work and into the knowledge-based product-based services or product-based sales. And I think that that does make sense just because the nature of it is different, right? It's not so much your time being tied to your work. It doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to do that. I've talked to a lot of freelance writers who are you and I included are like very happy with the work that we continue to do without having empires, you know, built off of knowledge products or educational products. I think we both have those resources, but we don't, they're not a pillar, you know, they're not a a foundation of our day-to-day work. Yeah. At least not at this stage. Like I like to think that as business evolves and grows, we can make decisions for ourselves that feel right for the moment. And I think, I mean, even starting this podcast, I don't think we have some grand illusion about, I don't know, like we're doing this strategically to, you know, sell our (laughs) empire. It's more like we know that we have knowledge to share and people have benefited from it in the past. And so there's like a natural progression that as you get really good at what you do and, and people know that there becomes more of a demand on your time also. And so then naturally you're maybe like, well, I should create a course because I don't have time to coach all these people anymore, Mm -hmm. right? Like, so there's some natural progression there, which I think makes sense. But I also think it's okay to say like, well, I really like doing this service-based work. So I want to stay there. Or even, you know, you go through a season of life, like becoming a parent or going through COVID-19 where you're like, I can't dedicate all the resources to my business. When I say resources, I mean time and energy. (laughs) I can't dedicate those things to the business right now. And that's okay. Like it's okay for me to just do client services for a year or whatever it is. I mean, I've thought a lot about this because of COVID and it's ramifications for me as a business owner. But I think that no matter the circumstances, you might go through a season in life where you're like not as jazzed up about growing the business and that's okay too, right? Especially once you know what you're doing and you have regular client work coming in. 
Yeah. I And I think as long as you're continuing to like expand your knowledge and you're getting better at what you do and you don't feel stagnant in what you're doing, it's totally fine to be like, yeah, this is what I do. Like I'm totally fine with not having a course or an empire or going beyond that. And a lot of people feel like they're hitting a stumbling block if they have that inclination and it's totally fine. I think the other thing that becomes a stumbling block, I hear a lot of coaching clients ask about this is, do I need to have any sort of formal certification to do this job? Like, Mm -hmm. do I need to be a certified copywriter? Do I need to get like HubSpot certified or be a Google partner? You know, there's a million different courses and certifications out there that you can take. But I think the reality of it is, at least in my experience, is that number one, nobody has ever in the history of me doing this job asked to see my resume or asked to see like my educational background. So sometimes I feel like an idiot because I spent four years going to college because nobody gives a shit. They just want to know that I can write and do the job. So I would have been way further ahead if I had skipped that very expensive piece of the puzzle. But at the same time, like nobody ever asks if I have certifications. They don't care. They just want to know that I can do the work. And yeah, those are nice validators, but I don't think that they're must-haves. What What do you think? Well, I think those kind of certifications are more about your own interests in education. So like if you're interested in offering services adjacent to HubSpot because you love HubSpot, you used it in-house, you know how valuable it is and you want to bring that into what you offer, then like, yeah, absolutely. And not because it's a validator, but because you need that knowledge in order to be successful in the services that you offer or you want to because it's fun or it's interesting or, or whatever, but it's not as a validator. I don't think so. I, I don't yeah, think it's not that's something that you need. Yeah. Yeah. It's not required. And I think when we talk about like, there's no right way to do this and dispelling the myths, I think, I mean, I keep coming back to like the biggest myth is that there is one way, right? Because there just isn't. There really just isn't. Yeah. I think there are probably a couple other things that we should touch on. So other common myths that I hear people talk about are things like, do I have to say no to things that fall outside of my area of specialization? Like, Mm. can I only take jobs that are within my niche? And my answer is always like, you want to be customer facing, presenting yourself and positioning yourself as an expert in one thing, but you're still going to have all kinds of weird opportunities get through the filter and, and coming your way, whether it's through referrals or people who are curious and maybe know you from a past life or a past career who are going to reach out and ask you to help with things. And it's your call at the end of the day. Like you can take on whatever projects you have capacity for and you want to. I don't think that there's any rule on what you can and can't do, but people feel a lot of reservation about, well, I picked this niche, so I can't do this because it doesn't fit within this nice little box. Right. And like, you can actually explore whatever you want. And it's one of the beauties of what we do. It actually reminds me of like another myth or idea that I hear people get hung up on, which is that they're afraid of rejecting ideas from experts. So I'll hear sometimes someone say like, well, so-and-so said that I should make a website or so-and-so said that I should do this. But I think that like they are giving advice based on their experience, which is unique to them. And it's not to discount that advice, but like it's just advice. Mm -hmm. And I have gotten a lot of advice from fellow freelancers, from coaches that I've hired. And I'm like, that isn't going to work for me. And they've tried to convince me otherwise. And I'm like, no, it's not going to work for me. And I think it's a myth that you have to sort of 
follow whatever expert advice that you're given. And the truth is that, again, you need to be defining for yourself what's going to work for you. I think the other myth is that even with something like choosing a niche or area of expertise, there are people that are successful that do not do that. Like, Mm -hmm. is it more challenging? Yes. Do they have other issues with that? Sure. But even something like you and I, I think, when it comes to something like that, we're like, oh yeah, of course you have a specialty. But I do think that there are people out there that aren't as specialists per se and still doing well. So I don't know. It's food for thought, right? Yeah. My husband and I were just talking about that recently about like the value of a generalist who can speak well on a lot of different things. It's kind of like that polymathic. I think it's true. You can't be a master of all things, but you can open yourself up to some generalization where you allow what you do know to bleed over into other areas and you can leverage maybe your interest-based knowledge in passion projects or side projects, or um, maybe it ties into a client project that you're working on. So I think that, yeah, there's definitely a case for generalists and they definitely have their purpose too within the project landscape. Like sometimes it's not a specialist who's the best person to get the job done. It's somebody who can zoom out and see the big picture. Yeah. And I think like when we think about choosing a specialty, it's less about being like, I'm going to work for X industry and I'm only going to do blog posts. It's more about like understanding the landscape and saying like, okay, if I'm a generalist, like there's plenty of like sort of marketing generalists, but usually they still have some area of expertise, right? Like they still have some, like they come into a company and they're going to work on like all of their writing needs because their expertise is more general. And maybe that's then the specialty isn't necessarily the industry, but the service they sell, which is like your hired writer, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're on staff writer that's not actually on staff, right? Like, so I think that there's like different ways that you can position and sell some of these things depending on what you want to do and your understanding of the landscape. I think another probably fairly common myth is that there are some significant startup costs associated with running a freelance business, whether that's expensive accounting software or a fancy website or a really brand spanking new expensive computer and a bunch of like fancy software and gadgets to go with it. I think that that probably is one of the biggest myths. If you have an internet connection and a laptop, you can run and hit the ground with that and then, you know, build things out from there and invest more as you have more funds to invest in upgrading and and getting better equipment and doing things like that. But you don't have to have a bunch of fancy tools. You know, you don't have to have some major setup. You could be sitting on your bed at home working off of a laptop and do just fine. I think that's definitely how I started. I think you did too. And we both found out very quickly how much that hurts your back. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It it can work. You know, it's it's an option. Yeah. That actually makes me think that like Another sort of myth too, though, is that anyone with a laptop can do this. So I have like conflicted feelings about that because I don't think everyone has a good enough command of the English language and has a good enough business sense to just be able to, or like even the drive to do it, to make it happen. And that's not saying like not everyone should try, but I do think that 
there are some people that come into it and they're like, oh, I can write. I wrote an English paper once. Like that <laughs> That looks like I'm going to throw up a profile on Upwork and start offering writing services. And I think there's like so much more to what we do than that. And there's like, there's so much more value than being able to write a sentence, right? So it is like, it's true. You can start from anywhere. You don't need the fancy accounting software. You can start working from your bed. But you also, as you grow, like it's a myth that you're not going to have to make investments. I think like it's like, I can't work from a laptop. Like it hurts my back too much. So, and I need a fancy office chair. So I think you do, it's a myth that you can like work from the bed forever, at least if you want to be comfortable and like ergonomically, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, or, you know, so it's, I think it's both of those things, right? That makes me think too. I think there's also a myth that when you're a freelancer, you can like work from the beach every day, which there are most certainly people who do that. But I think that a lot of freelancers, self-included, quickly discover that it's really hard to do deep work if you're kind of outside your normal work zone where you have like an optimal work setup, you have your workflow, your normal routine. Yes, you can do work while you're traveling, but it's more difficult. And it's not like I see people talk about the nomad remote work life and you don't get a lot of the nuance and a lot of the conflict and struggle that's happening on the back end because it's like, okay, well, I'm at an Airbnb and the internet here is shit. And my laptop screen is not displaying the split screen like I need it to, to be able to work through this as quickly as I normally do. There's all these little things that make yeah, it they crop up. so they crop challenging. Up. They do. Not to mention you're like traveling on some days and a client wants a call on those days. Like it always, I think about like, I've moved a lot in the past five or six years since I've been in business. And every time I move, it's such a major disruption to my business. Like it seems like, oh, you have the flexibility to go anywhere. And like, we've moved for my husband's job. I'm happy to have moved and I'm grateful to have had the flexibility to do it, but it's not something you want to do. Well, it's not something I want to do once a month or on a regular basis because it causes such a disruption to my business. I'm just like all of the work that goes into making a move. Right. And I think Another thing that can happen when you have the flexibility as a freelancer is if you are married to someone who has a more regular job, you are the flexible one who is going to answer the door when the plumber comes or like whatever it is. So that's like another, I think we can all relate to that with working from home, where if you're the freelance writer at home, there's there can be other responsibilities that might get added on, depending on, on your situation, of course. But I don't know. It's worth thinking about. You also mentioned Upwork too, which is something I want to touch on. I think that when a lot of people think of freelancing and freelance writing specifically, they think, oh, that's somebody who's just getting gigs off of like Fiverr and Upwork and like is barely scraping by. And I hate that connotation because you miss the piece of the puzzle where there are people who have really successful careers and that have figured out ways to find jobs with totally avoiding those platforms where it's often a race to the bottom. So I hate being associated with those platforms. I hate that there's such a association between this career path and those types of jobs. Now, granted, there are people who've built successful careers using those platforms, but I think it's very much outliers and rare cases. Well, there's a lot, you have to wade through all of the people on there. That's part of the problem, right? Like if you're a client, you have to wade through a lot of stuff to find the people that are really good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I have less of a hang up on 
this maybe than you do, but it's because I identify less as a freelance writer in my day-to-day work because I think that term, it can be somewhat polarizing in the sense that there are, you know, the freelance writer that's, you know, making $25 a newspaper article, which you mentioned is, was one of the first gigs that you had. There's sort of that image. And then I'm increasingly as business has gone on, I think of myself as a content marketing consultant because I bring so much more to the table than just the writing. And that isn't to discredit the writing aspect of it because it's so core to what I do. And if I didn't consider myself a freelance writer, I wouldn't be on this podcast, right? But I do think there's like, there's a lot of myths that are tied up in that term freelancer. And I think, I think your approach is like, you're going to own that term and you're going to, you're, it's more like revolutionary. Like you're like, I'm going to prove that being a freelance writer is a legitimate career. I think for me, I've more turned away from it a little bit and used other terms when I'm talking with clients or when I'm explaining what I do. And this is another thing where like, there's no right way of approaching that. It's for your unique business and your take on a term or your interpretation of it. But I don't know. It's interesting. I think that there are probably a lot more myths that we could get into, but those are kind of some of the ones that obviously jumped out at us. So any final thoughts on myths or like final comments on any that we didn't get to that people should keep top of mind that maybe are not true? I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure there are, but I mean, I'd be curious to hear from others what they think some myths are, but I think we've done a good job covering. We've heard that we're, we're not sure are the right paths for us, even though general wisdom says that it is. Yeah. And I would also say like final note, you cannot believe everything you read or see online. Like there's just so much misinformation these days. If you see it one place, make sure that that's not the only place you're seeing that and you're asking around and you're getting additional sources to back things up because it's just, it's a lot to wade through. There's so much info out there. That's a really good point when you're out there. I didn't even think of it, but like, I think I've seen so many headlines that are like, make six figures as a freelancer. Take my course today. And it's (laughs) like, is that actually true? Like, I'm always like, it was at six figures in revenue or is it profit? And it was 100K or 500K. Like, you know, not that, that, I mean, 100K is great. I'm just saying like, how true is that statement? Yeah, you kind of have to wade through the ambiguity of it all. Yeah, and that's an important thing to do like in your business in general. So, yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Freelance Writing Coach. If you want more tips, tricks, and resources for building your business, visit FreelanceWritingCoachPodcast.com. PodcastEdition.com provided editing and Ali Rico provided writing assistance.